The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. So the, the vulnerability, I think, is that the more ego you have, the more things you have to defend and the less capable you are of actually being vulnerable. If someone says something that triggers you, it's less likely you're going to ask a question like, what makes you say that? Mm-hmm. In a way that's very open, not in a mm-hmm. way that forces the other person to defend what they've said, but it's inquiring, what is it? And I think the vulnerability is the degree to which you're willing to allow yourself to see and be seen without needing to defend. It's a wonderful chaos. And the atheist pray? It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. I see we're live. I am on the show, not with Bombos <laughs> Charles Dimitriou, but with Cass Midgley of everyone, everyone's agnostic fame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's me. We were going to say that ba- Bombos had a hard night, and this is a... This <laughs> yeah, is, he did have a hard this night. Is a, this is a hangover. <laughs> oh, he relapsed into drug addiction, and this is... <laughs> if this is if this is what it looks like on the back end. Um, <laughs> and we're going to discuss a topic that I have no clue how we're going to get through it, but I knew how I'd get through it with Bombos, and that is the trap of authenticity. And we're going to do that where? Where, Cass Midgley? Um, on everyone's agnostic. No, on everyone's agnostic. You've done a few hundred. <laughs> on Let's just have it. A wonderful uh, chaos. I love that baseline. I love it. And I love what you did with the song as I keep telling everybody if you've not listened to the podcast version, then Cass is the singer and the instrument player and he did the whole the whole no setup. not the instrument player that's your soundtrack that's all, all i did was put music but, or put words and but you layered over in different ways to make it sound far more intricate than it was didn't you i mean nope. at least okay you sang over yourself like let's oh, yeah, give there's, yourself some there's credit. layers of, of vocals yeah you yeah. did different channels yeah that's me i edit the podcast and i wrote that song for the podcast and yeah that's me so for everyone who who's wondering what happened to Bambos, Bambos, he is in bed with a very high temperature. He got tested and then we're going to see what the results come back. Um, and Cass, who I actually just last week said, Cass, should Bambos find work? Would you be open to jumping in and just like stick- two days ago? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> would you be open? Little did I know then that this day would actually come much sooner. So, yeah. yes. And uh, and Cass, um, for me, um, in some strange way, of course, it's beautiful to have you because there is a feeling like you're part of me putting in the joy into this thing. Because, as you know, uh, I was on your show for the people that haven't heard it. Yeah, years ago. 
Yeah, yeah. you were on my show. It was a great show. You were a great guest. Uh, and you, you've uh, just like you do on this show, you spent you spun things then in a way where I was like, oh, this guy's perspective is totally unique. And he's proud of it, or at least he's like, because like you, you know, you were so you were so sure of yourself. I was like, what you're saying is what you're saying is pretty avant garde. And he's like, oh no, it's, this is it. You know, you, I got a sect of one. <laughs> I believe myself. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. And, and and you know, you ruffled some feathers, and some of my listeners, you ruffled my feathers a little bit because I was like, all right, are you just a self help guru? I didn't know what to uh, think of you. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember the one, the one, um, the one comment that was said to the post on your show was that one woman who said, "Cast, don't believe him, don't believe him." You yeah, know, something it was, like that. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, it yeah. was like, don't trust that guy. Like, I don't know what there is not to trust, right? I'm driving to work. Yeah, I, I was at the time, I was a little bit new. <clears throat> excuse me to, um, to the type of thinking that, um, you know up is down and down is up and paradox and all of that. And you yeah. came at, you came at that with like, you know, you just turned everything upside down. And, and I was, I, I just happened to be ready enough for it to, to, oh, wow. you know, when, when the, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher arrives or oh, as Jesus here. said, let, let those who have ears to hear, you know, hear. And I had ears that day cause oh, I, yeah. was, I was pulled in and then I read your book and yeah. I read your second book and yeah, I'm I'm a fan. Well, fact, thank you. I want to say as a disclaimer up front to the listeners, mm -hmm. I because I edit the show on the podcast and I've done 136 episodes. Um, I'm very familiar with with you and Vombos and what you yeah. guys offer. And you guys are 20 times more evolved as a human being than I am. So oh, come cool, on. No, the cool thing about listening to somebody is that when you like because there's the world of podcasts is absolutely saturated, right? Yeah. There's, there's billions. There's there's a there's a thousand podcasts for every little Segment. niche niche yeah. subject. You you know for sewing, you got twenty thousand podcasts just for sewing. <laughs> yeah. So so <laughs> the competition is uh, is is tough, and and so what people I think what people do is when they hear somebody that that has something that they don't, right. Yeah. They, they uh, the listener comes away and goes, I, I can learn from this person. I, mm. I I can learn from this person, and that's what you guys do for me. Even as as, oh, a, yeah, as well. an editor, I learn something every show, and my my I'm 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 a better person after every show. And mm, uh, that's beautiful. Thank yeah, you. So you have a lot to offer. Well, so today, I mean, I, I felt the same, by the way, just if we're going to masturbate one another to begin, then I'll start as well. But, you know, when you when you uh, edited the show with the love and the care that you did that I was on, like it showed a depth of kind of understanding of who I was. And and there was a love in it that I felt immediately. My guest today is Andy Chaliff. Andy Chaliff is a private mentor and advisor to a handful of high-profile business leaders. His approach is unconventional. He lives with clients for a week at a time and touches all aspects of their lives, from child-rearing to office intrigue, childhood trauma to facing death. His clients see him less as a business coach and more as a guide and partner in a lifelong journey. Andy's work is a byproduct of his own life story. He left the U.S. at age 20 to escape the sadness of his mother's death, traveling the world. After backpacking for years, 
he finally set roots in Austria, where he helped to take an IT company public in 1997. He's visited over 60 countries and lived in seven of them around the world. In spite of his business success, Andy felt empty inside. In 2005, he sold everything he owned to embark on a radical life do-over. After experiencing profound inner transformation, he co-founded a coaching business. The company, Meaningful Relations, has helped thousands of people in more than 20 countries. Andy is a walking paradox. He's as loving as he is provocative, and his mentoring style is equal parts unsettling and comforting, irreverent and compassionate. His mother affectionately called him my little shit stirrer. Andy founded the nonprofit The Last Letter, which goes by the same name as the book that he published, inviting individuals to share their feelings in letters to loved ones. His life's work is helping people connect with themselves and others through vulnerability and self-awareness. He helps people transform their most feared and painful emotions into their greatest source of motivation and connection. When he's not consulting clients, he serves as the director at Amsterdam's Welveren Training Center. He enjoys Amsterdam and bores people with the history of the city whenever he has a chance. And he lives between Amsterdam and London with a few months of the year spent in the U.S. So my conversation with Andy made me think of a couple of movies, both of which illustrate the beauty of naivete. Naivete is an ignorance of norms of some kind, like cultural, social, religious, political, logical, etc. Naivete can be bad or good for us, depending upon that which we're ignoring and the amount of agency that is intact while acting on our ignorances. In other words, whether they're chosen by us or we've fallen prey to them. Andy is the former. He's fully aware of how the world works, the norms of culture, society, logic, etc., and has seemingly chosen to transcend them and live his own life, follow his own gut, march to his own drum. In this sense, it can't really be called naivete, can it? So for a lack of a better word, I call it Zen. He walks six inches off the ground. Now, I know some woo-woo people who think they don't live by the same natural laws that the rest of us do, but that can be self-delusional. Andy's practice, on the other hand, walks right along the edge of that cliff without going over. As an ex-Christian, I cringe at how naive I was to believe as literally as I did. To be a fundamentalist Christian, one must check their skepticism at the door. So in a way, it is willful naivete, but not coming from within, but rather pressures from without, peer pressure. Everyone's doing it. The fear of hell, the desire to please God and other people, etc. So still, there's no agency in that form of naivete. One of the movies I want to highlight is called Enchanted with Amy Adams and Patrick Dempsey. It's about a young maiden named Giselle who lives in a land called Andalasia, a beautiful place displayed in cartoon animation reminiscent of Disney fairy tale films, the fantasy world with a lot less trouble or problems than the real world. As a result, emotions such as anger and frustration are rarely experienced by its inhabitants. Giselle is cast into the real world by an evil witch, and we, the viewers, are transported into live-action film. The beauty of this film for me is Giselle doesn't let the real world bring her down. 
to cynicism or pessimism that is so prevalent. She stays naive, and it's refreshing to see. In this clip, she believes a Prince Charming character is coming to get her because a squirrel told her. Dempsey's character, a real human, tries to talk sense into her. Here, he models a healthy skepticism by our standards. But in this metaphorical scene, she calls him out for being a no-sayer. An argument ensues, and Giselle experiences anger for the first time, and it feels good. She's surprised by it. My guest today, Andy, grew up thinking anger was bad because his dad was a rager. He suppressed his own anger in fear that he would become like his father. As a part of Andy's therapy, he learned to be honest with his feelings, in his body, and not to be ashamed of being human. Giselle is not ashamed of being naive. In fact, she chooses it, like Andy. That being said, and spoiler alert, her Prince Charming does show up, but she lets him return to Andalasia. She falls in love with Dempsey and stays in the real world. And in the spirit of the dialectic, they both were right. His realism and her willful naivete. Look, uh, Giselle, that was a nice story, you know, about your chipmunk friend and all. Yes. You know, I know what it's like when someone disappoints you. It's tempting to see things the way you wish they were instead of how they are. I don't wish that he's coming, Robert. He is. Right. Because the chipmunk told you. Yes. Pip actually said that... You know what? I don't know if you're kidding or you're being ironic because chipmunks, they don't talk. Well, not here they don't. All right, so in lieu of taking advice from a forest rodent, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, if it did work out and you decided to stay in New York, I'd like to help. Well, that's very kind of you, Robert. But Edward is coming for me. But what if he doesn't? Why do you keep saying that? Because I deal with this every day. If a relationship has issues at the beginning, it doesn't get any better. He is coming. Giselle, I don't think so. No. Yes! I have to disagree. No. No? No. Is that the only word that you know? No? No? No. 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 I mean no. 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 Over and over again. Every word out of your mouth is no. It just, it makes me so... Oh, sometimes you make me so... You You make me so... So... Angry! (laughs) I'm angry. (laughs) Are you okay? I'm angry. I'm angry. (laughs) Are you okay? I'm... I'm I'm wonderful. (laughs) Are you sure? Yes. It's a fiddle. The second movie I want to highlight is The Man Who Knew Too Little, starring Bill Murray, my hero. Murray plays a naive blockbuster video clerk named Wallace, who travels from Des Moines, Iowa to London to celebrate his birthday with his wealthy brother, James. When Wallace turns up on the same night that James has plans to attend a high-profile client dinner, where he hopes to bring in millions from a German investment firm, James needs to find a way to keep Wallace away throughout the evening. So he gives Wallace a ticket 
to a participatory show on London TV called Theater of Life. This show requires Wallace to assume a character and interact with actors portraying people in dramatic situations. This episode is a spoof on James Bond-type movies. As filming begins, Wallace is to wait at a corner phone booth for his instructions. The phone rings and he answers it, but it's an actual call intended for an actual assassin, unbeknownst to the producers of the show and Wallace. And now he's a part of a scheme to kill some key figures and revive the Cold War. In reality, Wallace leaves the phone booth and begins his mission, oblivious to its criminal intent, when the real assassin approaches the phone booth and gets the call from the theater of life. Blissfully unaware, Wallace walks without fear into a complex web of intrigue involving defense ministers, call girls, and Russian hitmen. For Wallace, all the world's a stage, and he's amazed at the skill of the actors, while his pursuers are mystified by their adversary's fearlessness in the face of threats, torture, and bullets. In the following clip, Wallace, played by Murray, did I mention that? He's my hero, is at the start of his quest, thinking he's being filmed for the show. He's walking down a dark alley when he's approached by two actual hooligans wielding real knives. Have you got any spare change, mate? I'm sorry, but I don't have any of your money. You sure about that? No, no, I'll give you a no. What I do have, I do have American money, which is just as good. Here, here, um... <laughs> I'm sorry. Nobody told me we already started. All right, just go back to uh, give me your money or whatever the heck. Okay. Just give me the money or I'll cut you. All right, let me just do my line first, okay? Please don't kill me, man. I'll give you anything. I give you all the money I got. I give you everything. I give you. I ain't got no jewelry, man. I just got a couple of kids. I got a couple of kids, and they expected me to come home tonight. They don't want to see their daddy dead on the streets somewhere. I don't, don't, I don't want to kill you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was not prepared for any of this stuff. Just give me the money. Not yet. One more. You know, it's getting so that decent people can't even go out on the street anymore without scum like you trying to step on whatever's decent in this world. But you know something? Your type are just going to be the kind of crap that sticks to the bottom of a good man's loafer. I am stinking the place up. Would you please take this wallet and let's go on to the next scene, okay? Yeah, yeah. Come on. Come on. You take these a bloody nut. Hey, all right, now come back with my wallet. Stop, thief! I know how much is in there. I want it back after. So perhaps you can see how these two movies demonstrate a way, albeit fictional and metaphorical, for us in the real world to take everything less serious, especially ourselves. My guest today, Andy, got so depressed after his mother died that he wanted to die. 
But instead of killing himself, he killed the anxious, depressed, fearful Andy and resurrected as the fearless, transcendent Andy you're about to meet. I know I need people to model for me those characteristics which I truly aspire to be, caged up within me, afraid to emerge. Giselle, Wallace, Bill Murray himself, and my guest Andy Chaliff are examples that encourage, enable, and empower me to step into a more authentic version of myself, fearless, naive, and yes-saying. with people i don't necessarily um i don't know how the, the recordings actually work because you know sometimes people like sound bites and it, it sometimes things flow easier when people answer like they're machines so i don't necessarily know how it translates into a uh, into you know a uh, interview but i was damn happy to share that time with you the way we did you know well, yeah and i think it's a, it is a unique uh, cadence to this conversation and then and it is true of every every one of them are, are unique but th- there is something to this one where uh so if somebody comes to this interview and practices the i'm barely listening they're not going to get much <laughs> this is one of those things where it's not an engagement where you're in the same room with somebody this is yeah. this is actually kind of pedagogical, if you wouldn't wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Well, yeah, most certainly. All right, man. See you. Thank you. All Have right. a good day. Yeah. You too. Bye. 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 So that's my talk with Andy Chaliff. Wow, interesting guy. Really. I'm taping this right after getting off the phone with him, so I'm a little bit high, and and maybe, you know, too much overstimulated, maybe to to reflect on it. But I I wanted to right here, right now, just to capture, anyway, how much of a fascinating conversation that was, and uh, appreciate him coming on. And you can get his Audible book uh, version of the Last Letter, both the book and the audio version at, at Amazon. His website thelastletter.com has everything you need to know and more about him. There's a Facebook site called Inspire Vulnerability. And uh, anyway, check him out. This is a good talk. I think that it could benefit the, the uh, post-Christian. How could it benefit them? I don't know. To explore that. I got a shit. And I don't know, I think you probably found it a little bit weird because I'd call you up afterwards randomly to say hello and just chat. Like, what does this guy want? And, you know, I don't know how it was for you, no, but not at all weird. Not, I loved it. Yeah. I yeah, well, that. I mean, I, I kind of felt very uh, just grateful. I always find when there's people just working from love, you feel mm-hmm. it like you just yeah. know it. And then you just want to connect to it and just it, it, whatever it is, is just say, I'm thinking about you. 
Yeah. It doesn't even need to be any big drawn out thing. And to find an excuse that we could even work together was just joyous for me. Just, hey, yeah. how do we how do I find a way? And and I don't know, because I didn't I, at that time, I didn't even have a podcast in my head. That was just yeah. and you were active. I mean, for those that are listening, you know, your podcast has been downloaded at over a half a million times. I mean, that's a lot of listening. Yeah. So so and uh, and it's kind of funny because um, for those that don't aren't aware of, of of your show, it's called Everyone's Agnostic. And it's really quite like I listened back to one or two of your episodes, by the way, last week, just without mm-hmm. telling you. And 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 you layer on a strong sense of it's not you know, when it comes to religion, some people are skeptical. You're like uh, I would call you a hater. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it was funny for me to listen to it because I'm like, I know you in so loving a way that when it came to and I know you said you evolved through your own podcast where there was you made more and more peace with it, which is probably why you ended it, because at some point you didn't have any there was no more to fight. You know, you're like, hey, I've been through this. I know the game already. I'm done. I'm, I'm moving on. So, yeah. yeah. But for those that don't, haven't listened to it, everyone's agnostic. Uh, we I know Bola Long, who you're obviously aware of, he it clearly has a lot of issues with religion. So Bolalong, um, <laughs> if you do want to see uh, or hear uh, Cass's work, then you can check out Everyone's Agnostic and you'll see a lot of stuff there. Yeah. Do you remember which one of my episodes is with you and, and Bombos? Um, I don't remember what I don't remember what the number was. Are you talking about the one we did earlier, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can't even remember what our subject was on that one. Yeah. yeah, probably just me and my hatred for religion. <laughs> probably. I would change the titles. I think I've gotten a bit more ballsy with the titles lately. Like before, I would try to be a little bit m- more mellow in the middle. And now I'm like, I hate religion with Cass Midgley. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that pulls the viewers in. Um, today, today is uh, is the trap of authenticity. And this topic hit me Um when I started seeing people in social media arguing with one another that they weren't being authentic. So, so, and, and, and I had, that was only one instance of it. I've had so many instances in my life where people have said to me, Hey, you're not being authentic, you know, or so they've used the idea of authenticity mm-hmm. as a, as a, sort of a, a, object, gotcha. a, a judgment gotcha on other people where at that moment, they themselves weren't being authentic. And I've always thought the, the irony that you're now judging someone for exactly the thing that you're not being. And, and, yeah. that, that's, and that's been something that's gnawed at me for years. And there's trainings on authenticity. And, and, and then even this, this, I would call it the delusion that authenticity is a great to be as a leader. And, and not that it isn't also great, but when it becomes a belief then all of a sudden people like they lose themselves and they don't understand that sometimes, you know, you can't be authentic because there's an HR manager and you'll be sued for millions of millions of dollars. Like the, you can't always be authentic. And that's the absurdity that I've found in life is that once we're dogmatic about what one should be, then there's so much loading that comes with it. Yeah. yeah. It's almost automatic that. So, so if I'm, if I'm going to set a goal to be personally authentic. Yeah. Then I've already, I'm already not authentic because authentic by definition should be, I'm, I'm relaxed. I, I, I'm not even shooting for authenticity. I'm literally shooting for nothing. I'm just being. Yeah. That's, that's authenticity. So I, this, the moment I say, I got to be authentic, I've, I've, I've forfeited. <laughs> I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think there's also a weird there's a weird thing that that um where authenticity and vulnerability cuz what what I often see happen is that the the idea of authenticity can be oh you're not being vulnerable as well. So the authentic mm-hmm. is connected to vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then um in that way, you know, the most vulnerable thing a person can do is maybe yell at you. Like that could be the most vulnerable thing that they do. Because that's that for them is so out of the ordinary. Yeah. Where for another person, the most vulnerable thing they might be able to do is cry or share what's really going on in yeah. their in their minds. Yeah. And and that's kind of this weird, you know, when I see this authenticity training, it always kind of it, it I understand that it There's has training value. for it. Oh yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> do a search on Google authenticity training and you'll, you know, yeah. it, it'll and 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 I and that's this weird weird I don't know I I almost I can share like one instance where it really hit me is that I'm always wondering it's the chicken and the egg is a person being the way they're being because of how I'm behaving am I creating that reality or is that who they are all the time because yeah. a lot of times we want to um we want to blame them for our behavior. 100%. That happens. <laughs> See, that's that's the detour that I was going to take this on. It's funny that you should say that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do want to say this, and this is what comes to mind when – so, and I, I listened to Mark Maron's podcast called WTF, and he just admitted the other day he had a guy on who was um, – oh, I forget his name, Michael, Michael K. Thompson maybe. I don't know. But he was – He's a black actor from The Wire and is a very popular character. And then he went on to do something in um, Lovecraft County. But but he's black and he's very black as far as his ebonics. I mean, the, the yeah. way he talks, it, it was very uh, black. It, that's, I'm sure that's racist. But, um, but Mark, not only did he start kind of talking a little bit more in that, tone and, and attitude, but he admitted it on air. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, that and and it's true. If I if I get done watching a two hour movie where everybody on the show was British, yeah. I'll my the first words out of my mouth when I when I'm done watching the movie are going to be British. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, it's going to be that British accent. So we do we do mirror and and model and mimic yeah. that which we're around. And that's just human nature and there's no way to measure that. But as far as do do I am I influenced by the people that I'm with and are they influenced by me? Absolutely. You know, how can you measure that? There's no way. Yeah. But but we have to admit that it happens. And then when the when the when something when something is done that is that one feels shame about, yeah. then they are then that that's when they're gonna look around and say, Okay, who can I blame this on? Because in order for me to look inside and do the work that it takes to figure out why I did that and how to not ever do it again, uh, to avoid that work and that pain, I need to find a scapegoat. And so it's very common to, to find. Slow that one down a bit. Cause you took one, you took a, you, you, you started on one step and I had you and then you jumped to the next one. Yeah. So, so you're pointing out that, if you're shame, if you have shame around a behavior, right? If if you have an example, of course, I'd love to hear something. Well, let's just say that a person was in a codependent relationship for years, okay, and they uh, they ended up really 
kind of forfeiting their own agency to support this other person's life. You know, the other person was kind of an alpha and they became a beta or whatever. Um, I hate those terms, but it gets my point across. And and they uh, they forfeited their dreams and they forfeited their desires for years and years and years. And um, and finally, till it just got to the person, you know, to the person was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right. I mean, there's a point where the pain of this is is more than than the pain of that. And so you you say, I'm out and or you blow up or or and then from there. I'm saying at that point, the beta would would easily blame the alpha for suppressing okay. it, whereas it takes two to tangle, really, right? Yeah, and the codependent, you're kind of pointing out that typical um, the the one who suppresses and the aggressor and the victim, right? That typical yeah. triangle that, of course, everyone's always uh, pointing out. Right. Wow. It's just an example of of blaming someone else for their behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, which takes me back to the story where I. So I was spent a lot of time with a friend and the friend was always very analytical. So they weren't really embodied. They would talk about the feelings, but they weren't embodying the feelings they were talking about. I, I didn't mm-hmm. experience them that way, at least. Mm-hmm. And and then that same friend would would start to uh, point out that I wasn't being authentic. I wasn't being vulnerable with this with with them. Mm-hmm. And 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 that was funny because you know, I, I, uh, that, that trust isn't easy because, you know, obviously you've heard all of my background. So I, if I'm going to go into a relationship and I'm going to be vulnerable, there is a degree of fear because I mean, I remember at the table when I was in eighth grade and I was crying and dad, you know, he was yelling at me for crying and saying I was manipulating him. So in, in some ways there is a trauma there of, if I'm going to be fully, fully vulnerable with you, I've got to trust that you're going to meet me there. And, and mm-hmm. I've often not been met there. In fact, even this individual wouldn't have met me there because they would have allowed my vulnerability to be a tool for them to make a point, right? Which is the humor is like, I need you to be vulnerable so I can prove the thing that I wanted to about what I think of you. That's mm-hmm. always there. So, And so what ended up happening is, and I was so aware of it that I just didn't, I was I was present, but I wasn't being fully vulnerable. And then um, at one point, they said it so many times that I flipped and I said, be the thing you want me to be. If you want me to be that, then look in my eyes and tell me how you feel about me. Tell me what it is you're missing and why that's important to you. Show me part of you and let me connect with you there instead of accusing me of not being there and not actually even trust where you, you don't even allow me to trust. You will meet me there. Yeah. So it was easy or not easy, but it was the choice they made that there you picked up on that. There's something else going on here. There's an, there's something that is driving this energy that you're having towards me right now. And I think that you're not telling me something. So I think that you're not being authentic. I think yeah. you're not being vulnerable. And maybe if we could start there, then I could understand better as to what's driving your, 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 your accusation. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I see that you, it was nice that you used the word codependency because in a way I see that as a perfect word here, because what I, what I see often happens is that it's, it's the blind need or the want and then we blame the other person for what they're not giving us. And then all of a sudden it becomes a negative reinforcing loop because it's you're not giving me what I need, but I'm not giving you the thing I'm accusing you of, of me, uh, of me not receiving. 
Right. Of so, withholding. Of withholding. And, and I think that that authenticity game is where I, why I really see it's a, a, a trap either, you know, and, and I think, you know, there, the, we use the title authenticity, but it could also really go into vulnerability as well, because to some degree, if people are being authentic, usually there's a, a, a certain degree of vulnerability in it. Yeah. 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 Well, because they're not hiding anything. That's kind of the definition, right? Of authentic is that they're, they're bearing, they're, you know, they don't have any masks on. This is what you see is what you get. So that's hell yeah, that's vulnerable. That's naked. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that of you, by the way, from listening to your podcast. Yeah. Very like like you, you uh, are from, from the, from the people that I would hear, you know, and, and, and of course I, I, I laughed at the, 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 dislike of religion in your in your life but for me there's an aspect which is goes beyond that which is you know all the suppression uh, through all the years actually came out for me through your podcast is like now i get to say everything i wasn't able to say the last years Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, so for me my my faith my religion was was a uh, of the nature of is a very devout radical. So we, when we talk about the radicalization, that's kind of a hot word right now with uh, with QAnon. Yeah, uh, people have been they went from just being you know like cared about their country to radicalized in a, in a nationalistic way that is that is unhealthy. And mm. where my faith, I believe there's people out there that have healthy faith that have uh, faith that benefits them and the world and doesn't hurt anybody and doesn't make them an asshole. Yeah. My faith was of the of the nature of radicalization that robbed me of my agency. Uh, I was not to trust my own heart and mind. I was mm-hmm. not to think for myself. I was, I had been bought with a price. I was a slave to, to Jesus, literally. I mean, that's not that's the language of the Bible. And so, you were to give up your life for for His. Take up your cross and follow Him. And so. There was a lot of resentment, and there was, uh, as far as once I figured out I'd been duped. <laughs> yeah, you know. Then there's that embarrassment of like I can't believe I fell for this, and then I've lost, I've I've lost the first forty years of my life that I'll never get back. So yeah, there was a lot of angst in there. But but I will say going back to like how you experienced me as an authentic person and and kind of that metaphor of nakedness that I've I almost err on the side of oversharing, which yeah, is I know. A, yeah, so that's. That's maybe what you're talking about uh, as far as the, the spectrum of authenticity, you know, has a shadow side. Yeah. And that's what I think happens in, in a way as well. Like, you know, there's also this idea that you have to bear all. And if it's not all, it's not authentic. Right. So I've been accused of, of uh, lacking tact. <laughs> yeah, and, yes. and that, that's that's what you're talking about a little bit. I since my name is Cass, and it's a nickname, but I've had it my whole life since I was yeah. born. But I've had, some people call me Crass <laughs> <laughs> or Casshole. Uh, oh, I can hear that one, Casshole. And, that's beautiful. And uh, so there is that nature of uh, shock jock. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I, you know, I I want. I want to be the center of attention a lot of times, or, you know, historically. And so if I'm at a party, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to push the envelope because let's get this party started or something, you know, yeah. just some, some kind of attitude of, you know, and, and a drive. I'll, I will say this. There's something I haven't really ever thought about this, which is will be good. This will be something I journal about later, but that I, I, I know that I'm sick and tired often of of disingenuousness. 
yeah. um, that the culture is a bunch of liars and masks and fakes and posers. <laughs> and so I get so mad at that that I swing swing to the other extreme to try to bust out of that straitjacket and help others yeah. bust out of it. In fact, there's a phrase that comes from an author, David Dark, who wrote a, a, several books, but there's a phrase that he coined called um, expanding the talk aboutable. Yeah. I love and, that phrase, by the way. I wrote that down yeah. um, because I love when you said it to me and I wanted to do a show on that because I thought it was such a great topic. Well, and it, this in itself is healthy. I mean, we're talking about shadow sides and stuff as well, but but his version is very healthy. And that is that that when we take things off the table that are forbidden, taboo, can't talk yeah. about it, mums the word, zip it or whatever. And of course, there's a lot of places where that's unhealthy. Like, for example, um, grief. We're learning now that, that the grief process is best when we talk about the dead one. We talk yeah. about the thing or whatever. And whereas years ago, we were taught, um, you know, don't think about it. Don't cry. Don't feel that. You don't feel into those emotions. Just buckle up and Put a yeah. put a smile on your face and move the fuck on or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And, and now we're learning that that was let's talk about it. And so we're expanding the talk aboutable. Another way is sex education that we're afraid mm-hmm. to talk to our kids because it's embarrassing. You know, and the the parents are like, oh, I don't want to say the word penis and vagina in front of my yeah. kids. You know, and so but let's expand the talk aboutable and they'll have a healthier sex life. You know, they're yeah. more they're less likely to have an unwanted pregnancy. If, and the very reason that you don't want to talk to him is that you you're afraid of an unwanted pregnancy. So, yeah. you know, expanding the talk aboutable. And anyway, where I was going with that was that I err on the side of too much. And I have learned to do what you're talking about. And that is there's a time and place. Mm. Duh. Well, I think there's also a, like you can be authentic without being crass. And I, I mean, you know how I coped, yeah. you know, and you probably were not all that different because I coped, of course, by jokes. So. I would notice things at a very young age and because I felt so uncomfortable. And I also, I must say, I also at that age didn't want to be like, I would equate it not saying what I was feeling as not being genuine. And that was something I never really wanted to be my whole life. So the way I got out of it or tricked the system, let's say, was Mm -hmm. by telling jokes, you know, by, by making a snide remark here. Oh yeah, I see you're totally over it or whatever the thing would have been that was like obvious Mm -hmm. to everyone. This the sarcastic remark. And yeah. of course, you know, mom called me the shit stirrer because she always th- thought I was doing that to provoke. But in some ways I was doing it to release the pressure in my brain because mm-hmm. having a high level of empathy and not being able to place it wasn't easy. Yeah. You know, you, when you see everything and no one's talking about it, you're like, mm-hmm. I can't I can't allow this not to be like, come on, I, I, I'm, I, I'm it's not everyone sees it. You know, that's the feeling. And I'm sure you had a similar experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back and talk about this thing that um, the, the, the kind of the blame thing that happens. Um, yeah. I, I read something this week and this was just a tweet. Uh, it was a, a, th- a thread of tweets by a guy. And he happened to be a gay man, and he was making some observations about the heterosexual world that that bewildered him. So he was kind of coming from this, hey, help me understand something, guys. This really seems weird to me, you know, (laughs) naivete. Yeah, yeah, that. I got it. Um, But what he was saying was, it just really seems strange to me that you straight guys have this, you know, there's this thing called modesty culture where Uh where you expect the woman to dress modestly 
so that, you know, you think more of her when she, uh, you think less of her uh, in, in accordance to the clothes she has. The less clothes yeah. she has, the, the less you think of her. But yeah. there's also this thing to where you're, you're afraid of, it seems like you're afraid of your own lust. You're afraid of your own bodies or you're, you're afraid of your own self-control because, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're saying, well, you're, you're making me think dirty thoughts about you. As in, you, you, you know, you're blaming. You're blaming her. the other one for how they make you feel. Yeah, right. So, and then he went on to say, and I'm, I'll try to phrase this as well as he did, and because there were some powerful words he used. He said, but when you, when you blame a person or the way they dress for your own bad behavior or how they make you feel badly or whatever, yeah, then you resent that person because th- because they're the source. Yeah. And so you're you're kind of your your judge jury and verdict is like you you are guilty of how I'm feeling not me yeah. you are sure and once you've once you've deemed somebody and you know guilty then 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 violence is the next step yeah so I'm going to put you in jail or I'm going to execute yeah. you or whatever you, you know. feel justified in whatever yeah. you do yeah. yeah it's justified so what he said was so now you want to assault her. Mm. And he said, modesty culture equals rape culture. Wow. Because they want the power back, right? We've always heard that rape's about power. Yeah. And, and you know, when we talk about giving people too much power over our emotions, that's exactly what he's done, right? Yeah. He's given her the power. Exactly. To, to, to pull his strings. Yeah. And now he's, now he's angry at her because she has inadvertently and unbeknownst to her yeah. robbed, robbed his agency. And so now he's going to get the power back by raping her. You know, yeah. and I, I, obviously that's that's all metaphorical kind. Of, I mean, I might imagine it has happened, but always in the in the subconscious of these fucking rapists. But but what I wanted to say, well, I was, mean, I think what you're speaking to is something really powerful and obviously connected to the religious suppression you've also had on your show. I know over and over again is that whatever you're suppressing in the other person will come out in these contorted ways. Yep. So I was the show I heard that I told you I was listening to was the one where you mentioned how shame was very much attached to sex in your life till even to the point till today that you say I haven't detached from that because it's so embedded in in in, in how you uh yeah how you were uh, uh indoctrinated in, yeah. in, within the church. Yeah. Um, and so it's yeah. Not just within the church. I I I say that that's western culture because because okay. western culture was so shaped by shaped by the church. But yeah, I ab- absolutely yeah. Yes. Um, but what does that what does it come? I mean, where I went with that was in in our relationships, when when we blame an, a person for our own behavior or feelings. Yeah. We we justify resentment and bitterness and and um you know just it yeah, becomes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 a belief that then creates the reality because now they're the ones that are the bad ones. Yeah, yeah, and it infects the relationship clearly in a way that um, that and and here's the thing about the nature of this is that 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 party which you're scapegoating, which you're blaming, yeah, off often are unbeknownst. I mean, they're completely. Yeah. Uh, uh, they don't. So the next time that you come across as like snide and and bitter and jabbing and and you know you're attacking them when they they could be your spouse they could be your friend yeah and um 
And you're like, whoa, where's this coming from? Because you didn't know that your blouse made him think that, or you didn't know yeah. that that your your um, alpha nature had been steamrolling them for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little close to home. But, um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm attuned to this because if a person wants to be authentic, a person wants to be present without any of this funk in the room, yeah, you know that's been created by this blame game. Then, then there's there's a phrase in the 32 Declarations of Healthy Adulthood by David Rico, Doctor David Rico. One of the things, as a side note, Andy, you know that I, that I we we'd mentioned shortly, briefly, was that my my agency was hijacked and my uh, my development was arrested by yeah. Christianity, and so I had a lot of maturing maturing and maturation to focus on when it came to you know, growing up and, and behaving and thinking like an adult yeah. because Christianity is a celestial God that takes over from you. I mean, a celestial parent that yeah. takes over from your biological parents. And so yeah. you're never, you're stunted. You you never grow up. You're never forced to get your own apartment. So, so to speak, you know? Mm. Uh, and so by leaving Christianity, I found myself um, stunted. And so I really focused on this book, the Healthy Adulthood by David Rico. And one of the mm. declarations, which is what I'm getting to in the context of this conversation, is take full responsibility for the shape your life has taken. And and so you you're you're on, you're not off the hook now. You're on the hook. So slow down, slow down. I wanna I wanna like savor this one. All right, let um, me say it again. I accept full responsibility for the shape my life has taken. Ah <sighs> And I recited that thousands of times over the last four years until it was a part of my DNA. Mm. And it, and there's the whole, all the declarations are mm. just removing responsibility yeah. from other people and bringing it home. So I'd love to just to touch on this just because, so I was asked to do a course on communications because mm-hmm. I've done so much work in it over the years and I've developed so many models. I thought, and then, so I started to say, I need to come up with core principles, basically the guide, because if you don't have the core principles, you're still just learning a skill. And yes, the skill is important, but then the core principle was, and this is the phrasing I use today on this exact topic, how much responsibility are you ready to take in this relationship? Mm. Because, because you can take just the amount of responsibility that your ego is comfortable with, or you can leave your ego at the door. And then, and then we get back into, by the way, the vulnerability discussion, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because what we're really saying is to what degree are you going to allow yourself to be seen by the Mm -hmm. other so Mm -hmm. that they can actually meet you? And the scary thing in it is that they might say, screw you, but you've taken full responsibility in that relationship. Yeah. And and so I use the word responsibility as as you just stated it because I mm-hmm. said how can I explain to somebody there's always a level of responsibility that you can take that you may not be willing to and then you can't I can't judge whether they're using the right amount or not that's their judgment but because mm-hmm. because you could also say and this is what getting back to the whole trap of vulnerability in some cases, it'll be better that they're not vulnerable because the counterparty isn't able, willing to meet them anywhere. So to self, to do it as a self-mutilation is also crazy, right? Mm, you lost me. So imagine this. If the other party has no intention of meeting you and they've shown it over and over and over again, and yeah. you have the false belief that being vulnerable is always good, 
Then well, what it's, you'll, it's always going to win this person back. back yeah. To me. Or, yeah. Or it, it goes in the codependent thing you were kind of discussing. I'm going to be vulnerable because by being vulnerable, they might meet me. If I'm just vulnerable, I'm not being vulnerable enough. If I'm okay. more vulnerable, they might find me. If I'm more vulnerable, they might find me. But at some point, it becomes the clarity that that person never wanted to meet you. Yeah. So save yourself some time and and and, and move on. Yeah. When I on. when I cried to my dad at the table and said, you know, when he asked me, and I think you know the story when I was at the table and he said, Andy, what do you want from me? It was like a really open. He he gave me the impression he really wanted the answer to that question. And he, I said, he said no, you want him to be like other dads. I something. want you to be like this other dad. Yeah. yeah. It was my friend Billy Jay. And, and Billy, Billy Jay's Jay, dad. Be like and Billy Jay's dad was the coach of the baseball team. And we saw him a lot, sting. That's you sting. know. And so it stung so bad, but it was the most honest, pure thing. And and, and I yeah. trusted that he would receive it in a way that it wasn't intended to hurt him. It certainly wasn't from my mouth. I was honest because he really wanted to know. I thought oh, I've done that so much. Yeah. And that was when it turned on me. And then he went into the rage and threw me out of the house. We didn't talk for whatever, however many years after that. That was the first time. So to quote another Jesus phrase, there's yeah. a lot. There's a lot of adages, axioms, idioms in yeah. the culture that are come from come from Jesus's mouth. But he he would call that casting sw- pearls before swine. <laughs> <laughs> casting pearls before swine. Yeah, and and he goes on to say that if, that the swine don't give a darn rat's ass. Yeah. That that's valuable gemstone, yeah. and they'll just and in fact they'll get mad and charge you because if they try to eat it it's not good and then they'll be mad at you yeah but this is again another trap by the way sorry to interrupt you but if if you believe that and you choose not to be vulnerable because of it then also you're creating your reality so you're kind of living this fine line of i want to be vulnerable but i can't expect that that person will meet me because i don't know if that's if they're if that's the thing that they're capable of right and i think what what we can say to ourselves as far as people that want to want to know how to navigate relationships is that yeah you're assessing that person and they are on that spectrum mm. and if they're that far spectrum to where they're, they're not interested they're not listening and they're even if you were really authentic it wouldn't change anything you, you get to pick that up and and behave accordingly but yeah. there's those people that are right in the middle where you where you do there is a place where you owe them the benefit of the doubt no you don't owe them i hate that word but but if you give them the benefit, you're you're tempted and you're 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 moving towards giving them the benefit of the doubt of mm. like I'm going to take a chance because vulnerability is risky. Yeah, I'm going I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to open up to them in hopes that they'll respond. And I know that they may not, or they may. That's my risk. And I think there's relationships that are worth that too. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. By the way, I, we have a few messages that have come in, so I'll put them up. Jessica has said. I learned this lately, vulnerability, the ability to change shape under pressure, authenticity and vulnerability feel the same in this context. The ability to change shape under pressure? Yeah, the ability to change shape under pressure. It's so funny. Yeah, circumstances I, are requiring something of you that is that you don't seem to have, but if you... If you adapt quick enough, then you might be able to salvage this moment. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard. That's a hard one for me. I always see vulnerability as something going away. So I guess that would be maybe the change under pressure that she's pointing at. Yeah. Well, I okay. would say this. If I, if I say what vulnerability is, okay, let's, let's go to how like the real option, the real thing. So you say something that triggers me, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in a way, if I... 
navigate around that trigger in my response to you, you feel it. Mm -hmm. So the more, the more I'm unable to tap into what's really going on and, and share it with you, the less we stay in connection. Okay. So what I hear there is that, and you do this all the time with Bambus or anybody else. And I, I appreciate it because I, I feel it too. And I've never seen anybody address it so quickly and honestly as you guys do. And that is you can, you smell the moment he becomes defensive. Yeah. <laughs> or we anybody actually, for that We matter. actually don't call it defensive anymore. We actually are embracing that it's trauma. It's a really beautiful shift, by the way, just to uh, name it. So he's, we're naming a trauma because okay. it's a trauma response now. Okay. Yeah. So I, I say to you, Andy, I, I've I've watched the way that you treat Ronnie, and I, I think you're an asshole. Yeah, and and you're and that triggers you, and uh -huh. you say and then you say something, what we would previously call defensive, but traumatic or coming from trauma. Mm. Well, I would say so. By the way, I have been told by several people that I treat Ronnie horribly. So just uh, just. <laughs> Just FYI, it isn't that the and and uh, and it was funny because I was on a, a trip with like eighteen people, something I never really would do, but it just happened. Yeah. And then one of the people came back and said to me, Andy, um, uh, just so you know, there's this talk going around, and people, you know, people, you know, they do the people thing. They're just talking, and they they, they think that you know you're not really treating Ronnie well. So I'm sitting there with Ronnie as we're sitting like together, and then we start we look at each other, and then we burst out into laughter. Yeah. yeah, because what 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 I uh, what but sorry, in answer to your question, this wasn't the point, but I just thought it was a funny segue. Yeah. Um, I would say that whenever anyone says something, I'm not interested in what they said. I'm interested in why they said it. And the vulnerability would come from me and that let, let, like uh, if if someone said something that really hurt me then I'm just feeling into it as we speak because the, the, the Ronnie thing doesn't hurt me, to be honest with you. I kind of just laugh at it. But if there's something that really hurt me, I would say that I would say that hurts. I would acknowledge the pain. And then I'd say, what makes it you say that? That would be yeah. what I'd do. Okay. But I think what you were, the, you were, the example you were given, I want to switch the table. Oh, you're, you, you're not the, uh, let's say that you're not the one that's been triggered, but you're, you're the one that says something to somebody that and they've been, they've been triggered okay. and you can, and you can tell, this is what I heard you saying. You can tell from their response, whether they're being authentic or not. Uh, oh, 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 nice. Okay. I don't like you using the word authentic. So yes, <laughs> I, but, 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 but I love what you're saying. So what you're telling me is, am I judging them based on the level of authenticity? No, I wouldn't want to say that. But what I would say is, do I feel that I see them in their response? It would be yeah. far more of an energy. Yeah. And and I would hate to think that I would sit there because some, like I told you before, you know, I sat next to Bambos. Bambos has been having these moments when he'll just go kind of quiet. And and I said, you know, I, I don't know what the phrasing I would use. Uh, you've Are gone. you with us? <laughs> Are you with us or something? But what what I wasn't embracing that moment was the fact that he was having a trauma response. And what what I'm what I would say is, I observe that there's something there that I'm not connecting to, but as soon as I apply a judgment to it, I'm a dick. So the difference is, is just saying, I don't see you and in, in, I don't see you. What, what's, or what's I see you on? protecting yourself right now. I wouldn't say that because that, that would also push them away. So I yeah. wouldn't want to force anybody because again, oh, yeah. 
You like, say it out loud. But. I want to be I want to be delicate with people because I don't know if they've been raped or or you know assaulted or I don't know if I'm I'm the the visual of me is triggering something so deep in them and the only way I'll find that out is if I'm really really open to allow everything to unfold so that, that and, that's and what they I, feel safe they have to yeah. and they also have to feel seen I mean if someone judges me they also have to feel seen in that judgment yeah yeah. So the the vulnerability, I think it goes back to the beginning when we were speaking about ego, is that the more ego you have, the more things you have to defend and the less capable you are of actually being vulnerable. If someone says something that triggers you, it's less likely you're going to ask a question like, what makes you say that? Mm-hmm. In a way that's very open, not in a mm-hmm. way that forces the other person to defend what they've said, but it's inquiring, what is it? And I think the vulnerability is is if I was to put it as a measurement, it would be the degree to which you're willing to allow yourself to be seen, to see and be seen without needing to defend. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because at yeah. uh, one level, once a defense comes in, all of the mechanisms of coping come in and then you see the mask, whatever the terms you want to use to. So the whole idea is, and that's why I always say, if anyone says anything about you, then do not defend. Just say, hey, yeah, I I, I or agree or you know if you you know if they say you're a pedophile it's hard to agree but you know say wow that's kind of hard to hear what makes you say it you know like yeah, at least yeah. be open to what it is they might be noticing yeah yeah hang on one second i'm going to pull something off the wall oh, i love it please <laughs> and i'll just mention to you bowl along yes Cass's show is called Everyone's Agnostic, but it's apostrophe S. It's not a everyone is, but everyone's agnostic. That's it for Cass. And Magda, thank you for listening. I love you. It was episode 89, too, the one that I did with you guys. Episode 89. Do you remember what the title was? Um, I think it might have had something to do with your dad as well. Leaving the past behind. Oh, oh, that wouldn't be a good one. I would say I hate the church. That's how I'd rename it, just to get more viewership. So my daughter is a graphic design artist. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and, let me see if I can. I love I this. I can't find where. Uh... <laughs> this is, I'm sorry. Okay. No, please do what you do. I'll see you. Okay. So, so this one says, I accept full responsibility for the shape my life has taken. So she took these 32 declarations uh, and she made some graphics out of them in this little frame. Thing. Oh, that's beautiful. Th- th- this one says, I acknowledge the reality I acknowledge that reality is not obligated to me. It remains unaffected by my wishes or rights. Wow. And then the last one is until I see another's behavior with compassion, I have not understood it. Wow. So those are, those are three out of the 32 that are, were life changing for me. Um, but, but going back to what you were saying, I was thinking um, and about responsibility. And I think that's, I think, you know, the, all of these kind of can bleed over into this a similar concept as far as uh, vulnerability, authenticity, and responsibility. Mm. And and one of the, the, the catchphrase from my show that I coined early on was say yes to what is. Yeah. And it's kind of that this 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 phrase as far as I see that uh, reality is is not obligated to me, you know. Yeah. And so um, I, I'd like to hear from you. um and and I just want to say before we get too deep into this that this is two straight white guys talking. So we are the most privileged class totally. human being on the food chain, and so we don't understand victimization uh, very much because, like, I there there's hardly any victimization in my life. No, like 
no, I have no PTSD. You know, I got bullied one time in, in, in elementary school, but that I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, traumatized, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I can, it's hard for me to relate to, there was no alcoholism in my family, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So I really want to tread lightly when, as I go down this path, mm. but, but the thing that I, that I think especially white males say a lot as far as the, there, the times, you know, um, how do we how do we take responsibility for something that was done to us? You know, I just I'm asking you to take full responsibility for the shape your life has taken. Well, there there were you were raped at 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 an age or whatever yeah. to where that was imposed on you. You were not responsible for that. Yeah, and you really were a victim. Now mm. now how do I because because that let's say and I've heard you guys say this on the show before. That a a woman that that has trauma around sexuality is going to have trouble being present in the act of sexuality from there on, unless she's done a lot of work, and and somehow taking. Well, I mean, let's just say we don't state it as a fact. That's just been an experience that both of us have had. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. But it, it's going to impact their ability to be authentic. That's what I'm saying. It's like they. Well, no, 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 no. Let, let's say let, let's because now I think we're. I think authentic by by you going there, you create a conundrum that I don't want to create. Okay. I would say it has nothing to do with authenticity. It has an opportunity. They've lost connection with themselves. Like they don't even have that. So it's not about authenticity. It's about a trauma response. So in that way, it's it's not a you know you could say. In some level, right, the degree to which one experiences trauma or fear, anxiety is also the degree to which they're able to be vulnerable because it's easy. You know, I always laugh uh, when I told or Ronnie not this. Be. Yeah, or not be. But I told Ronnie, like, it's so effing easy for like getting to your point for the white guy who's has enough money to be comfortable. He succeeded. He has absolutely no liability in being vulnerable because in that way, it's like, what's going to happen to him, right? Like who's going to judge? But I laughingly said, but for Ronnie, she has a much more greater challenge to be vulnerable because it's already projected onto her that women can be irrational. They can be impulsive. So in some ways, the stereotype, if you fulfill pieces of it, you'll then be categorized and then you will have consequences for it. So it's much easier, as, as you know, white men writing books. Mm-hmm. White men can write books because they've got time and money, right? It's, it's an expensive venture. So others can't or don't have the opportunity as easily. And, and that, that, that's just sort of the, the thing I've seen is that, uh, yeah, that there's a, a degree to which, you know, being truly vulnerable and public, which is admirable, is easier for some classes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 And they, and they extol it as if, look at me, you know, and, you know, I, I just live it. And I'm like, hey, I, I see it as a luxury and I understand there may be consequences. Clearly, my family listens every so often and calls me afterwards and says, why did you say that? But other than that, that's about as bad as it gets. Yeah. You know? Well, that's yeah. the naivete of the privileged is that, is that the, since everything has come so easily for me, I just immediately I just assume it's easy for everybody. But I'm ignoring that I that the the world was designed by me, white men, for me, you know. Yeah, but and, I think that 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 could also 
I mean, I have a trouble with that somehow as well, because in a way, everybody experiences the world as they experience it. So I can't project on everyone's experience of the world. I can say that for me, I've seen, I've seen, I haven't had to deal with certain issues that other people have had to deal with, which but that's is self-awareness. I was, I was talking about the naivete of somebody yeah. that would say that. Oh, good, good, good. Because I was almost worried like, oh, shit, what if we're like saying that everyone would say that? And then I'd be like, oh, no, no I'm saying that's yeah. a, that's a non self-aware person or even wow. others aware. That's a non empathetic yeah. person. Yeah. That says, well, it was easy for me. You should be able to do it. I mean, that's that's yeah, I've noticed that's bigotry. That a, I, I've noticed that a lot when I saw the the um in the U.S. when there was the elections going on and everyone was talking, well, it never came easy to me. And then <laughs> and then I realized that. It, it, it really probably didn't come easy to them, right? They worked really hard, but they never took into account the advantages that they had uh, in, 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 the, in, you know, there's that, I'm sure you've seen it, that beautiful video on privilege where um, the man lines everyone up in a, in a football stadium. Have you ever seen this video? He lines everyone up and he says, take one step forward every time this hasn't happened to you. Oh, I yeah. came from a family where my parents weren't divorced, right? And yeah. then they get to take one step forward. I never had to worry. I never didn't have enough money for food. They take another step forward. I never, um, no one in my family has ever gone to jail. They take another. So then, so then all of these things. So then you've got everybody that's basically towards the end of the finish line. And then they said, now start. <laughs> Yeah, and you blow the gun, start the race, and the and the so and, and then they win, and then they win, and just like I won, you know, without like yeah. if like it was only based on your ability, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So the uh, I had something. The mm. thing about um, privilege. Oh shit! By the uh, way, what made you segue it. to privilege? Not that it's cool to go there, but what made that the vulnerability and this and the and the authenticity subject progressed in this direction? Because I'm sure you had a a connection there. Well, I'm I'm looking for I was, I was mostly about responsibility, you know, and I and I I take full responsibility for the shape my life has taken. Well, what do you say to somebody who who uh, good good chunks of their lives? of of the evil in their lives was imposed on them. Oh, wow. And how are they supposed to take responsibility for the shape their life has taken when they were victimized on so many fronts and yeah. so many times? And, and yet I do think that somehow, and I, again, speaking from a place of privilege, but I think somehow it could benefit them and be important that they figure out a way to, to not only take responsibility, but, at least at minimal, mm. stop stop blaming that person, the rapist in this case. Yeah, but you're talking about heightening levels of consciousness. I mean, for the show, you know the show is very much inviting all of the trauma on mm -hmm. because holding space for the trauma is actually a great step for people to overcome it. And, and you always, you're editing the show, so you know, I always laugh that 50% of the people that come on don't want really want to be here. I mean, and that's really true. Like these aren't people that are saying, hey, I want they're to tell reluctant. my story. Yeah. yeah, they're reluctant. And they, and and I think the beauty for me is that when you talk about privilege and, and, and I think the privilege, if I look at it, the privilege is that I've had the opportunity to make peace with a, a lot of my own demons so I can make peace or support others who haven't made peace with those same demons. And, and that same title of the book, The Wounded Healer and such. But I guess... This is a fine line and it gets into a whole topic. We actually have a show coming up called I, uh, I, I Helped a Homeless Man Off the Street. 
And and the 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 thing that fascinated me on that upcoming show is that we want to do good, but in sometimes doing good, it's counterintuitive because if you are doing everything for the other person, then you're taking away their agency and it's not sustainable. So, but if you do nothing, then you're actually not supporting them knowing that there are things you could do. So the question is, how much can you support them without taking their agency away and then making them dependent, which is, you know, it gets to the whole thing in America with, you know, social, you know, we don't want to have everyone living off of the the social system, right? That's the, mm-hmm. that's the big, the big myth. If yeah. you, if, if, if you're unable and then you need food stamps, you're living off of the government, right? Yeah. Yeah. Welfare, yeah. welfare. Queens uh, or whatever their terms yeah, are that yeah. they use. Yeah. yeah. Well, you just described relationships 101. I mean, as far as how much, if I, if I do too much for them, then I'm enabling. Yeah. If I do too little, then I'm neglecting. Yeah. And 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 I'm I'm down with that conversation because I this this phrase that relationships take work or marriage takes work I'm like yeah. okay but how much because at, yeah. at some point we're keeping it alive by by false you know like a, keeping a dead person yeah. alive by under by false machines. pretense yeah, yeah. well it's just machines it's false yeah so I mean I always say hard work you've heard the <laughs> phrase a hundred times over I always tell Ronnie we're one day away from a divorce. Yeah. And by stating that, it keeps us together because nothing goes unsaid. We don't let resentment come into the relationship. And then there's something incredibly healthy about that, right? And uh, well, yeah, that's that's where I was going when, with that uh, modesty culture is rape culture because it, it just goes from it goes from resenting and blaming to violence. And yeah. so what I what I hear and the reason that auth- when you said okay, the topic's going to be authenticity, it's just another way of you saying. To you and Ronnie's little pact that you've made with each other is that I'm not going to keep stuff in. I'm not going to bury stuff under the rug and pretend it's not happening. I'm going to be authentic. Yeah. I'm, I'm but be you know honest. what the, ch- the challenge is in relationship is that one, uh, one, one individual's authenticity is another person's attack. And that's where it gets really funky because I could tell you how I'm feeling. <laughs> and I, I can tell you, I've been in the middle of so many crosshairs, so many of these discussions. Yeah. You know, I'm really having a hard time. What do you mean you're having a hard time? I didn't do anything. And, and like, it has nothing to do. They took so, it personal. Yeah. yeah they well, take it personal. But listen to the language that you're saying. So one person's authenticity is another person's attack. Well, yeah. what if, what if it's a, what if a woman's authenticity is wearing a low cut blouse? Yeah. So I that's mean, her being authentic, but to him, it's an attack. Yeah, of course, because that's where that individual hasn't yet created enough consciousness to make it otherwise. I mean, that's a sad part of life. And this is where responsibility is a big deal, is that instead of instead of thinking that their their behavior or their statement or their the way they dress is about you. Yeah, it's not about you. (laughs) And and. I mean, I don't know how to relate that. Earlier, I was thinking I related that to responsibility. Well, but you it's... related it. I mean, all of these topics have dovetailed because it, it it connects to codependency. You know, it, of course, to the degree that I need you to be something that you're not, then I'm going to be resentful to you when you don't behave the way I want you to. Yes, so, atta- attachment to outcome. Yeah. And so uh, and so I think the, you know, when, when I was doing my course, the 15-month course with Bambos. And I said the second or third unit of the course was what I would call the helpless no, is that I say no without blame because I have to be helpless that you might not come to me. 
Because if I say no and I attach that you need, like I'm forcing you, like I have to be resolved that maybe when I say no, you're not going to be able to meet me where I want to be. Like that's I don't a have really- enough. I don't have enough context to know what you're talking about. Like, oh, what, what are you I'm saying talk- no to? What, what I'm talking to is that if I say no to a behavior. So um, a lot of times I'll be working with a couple. And it's a and soft the, no, did you say? Or what kind of? It could be a soft or a hard no. I mean. Well, what it, you said, you gave it a metaphor or an adjective, um, a soft no. It wasn't. Oh, it was a, oh, a helpless. Uh, the helpless. Helpless. No, sorry. Helpless no. Yeah. What's there, that, what is that? The, the helpless no is, so I'm together with a partner and we get into fights over and over and over again, the, the, the negative reinforcing loop. And then one of the two partners starts to, starts to gain awareness that this dynamic isn't working. And then they start to alter it. They start to ask more questions. They start to be more vulnerable. They start to not take the bait each time the statement's thrown at them. And what starts to happen is that creates a big tension in the relationship. And then at some point, this one individual who starts taking more and more responsibility Responsibility, getting to your point, mm-hmm. they start to say, not through resentment anymore, but mm-hmm. through how far am I ready to take responsibility now? Yes. And yes. at what point do I say, listen, I would love to, but I'm sorry, but this is as far as I can go. And then that's what I'm saying is the helpless no. I say, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I can't do it anymore. And I'm not going to blame you. I'm just saying this isn't going to work for me. And I'd love for it to be otherwise. I I understand all of that. I just don't understand the word helpless because in a sense you're you're actually you're taking back your dignity. You're, you're taking helpless. back your dignity, but you have no control of the outcome. Your dig- well, sure. dignity. Oh, so you're helpless. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you're helpless in the outcome. Yeah, yeah. Thank well, you for clarifying. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Y- y- it could be pedantic. So I agree with you on one level. You could say, "Well, you're not helpless because you're taking all your agency back and you're holding yourself but and the other person you're, accountable." You're, but you're you're deeming yourself like like um it's a it's a no with your hands up it's a no with your hands up yeah so um the, i'm really interested in that because in my own life i have relationships where i'm 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 keeping um i'm keeping a relationship I'm keeping this friendship open and as opposed to leaving and just, a, you know, saying, okay, we're done here. Yeah. And I'm keeping, I'm keeping it open, even though I know, like what we said earlier, that I know that that person is spiteful uh-huh. and, and resentful towards me. Yeah. And because they're blaming me for some of their behavior, uh-huh. but I see that they are making attempts and actually steps towards responsibility. Yeah. And so I'm not leaving. The relationship is worth seeing where this goes. Mm-hmm. And my next question to myself was, you know, at what point am I a doormat? I mean, at what point have, have I, yeah. you know, has surrendered my agency and, and dignity? And, it, and, it, and I asked, I just asked the universe, you know, because I journal to myself all the time and, and I'm asking myself, you know, okay, I need, I, I would like to have something concrete to think about, to reference yeah. when, when behavior is coming at me. And when I, when I know, when I know that's it, that's mm. enough, that's all yeah. I'm going to take. And what, what's going to be that, that, that measure. And the, um, the thing that I came up with, and I'm, I'm, it's so fresh, I may not be able to verbalize it. Um, is, is it? It's, 
is because I'm tempted. I'm like you said, take the bait. I'm tempted to make it about okay, all right. You drew first blood, okay, you know, yeah. And I get pulled in to that, and so by by saying, I they're blaming me for that, and and you know what, I did play a role in that, and so whatever ownership I need to make, whatever yeah. responsibility I need to make to be healthy, I sure. want to do. But there is a point in which you're casting more responsibility on me than is actually mine, and I will not own that. And yeah, I don't, yeah. you know, somehow those, these are just navigating no, I mean, relationships. I mean, I know it. I, I have. So first of all, so when I started taking responsibility in my own relationships, what I noticed is that I got far fewer friends. So the friends dropped out. It was almost like it was like, oh, I've got like 30 years of cleaning out my closet. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like the cleaning first, up your Facebook. It, it, <laughs> because because, you know, that you've been in dysfunctional codependent relationships, people blaming you for not calling them back immediately or people saying, hey, what you're writing is offensive and interpreting everything that you didn't write. Like you've got those relationships in your life. And so for me, at first I was like, OK, like I'll let this unfold because I see I can create more space. But at some point, like you said, I became far less tolerant because I thought I don't have time for this anymore. Like, I just don't have time. And I think the the loving act was loving me finally, because in a way I could self-sacrifice till for forever to find a way to make it work. But then the question was, do I feel fulfilled? Do I enjoy this? And 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 fewer and fewer times well, I was enjoying it. And and what I started to see was I didn't even I didn't need to blame them, nor did I need to blame myself. I could just say this isn't working anymore. And I think we have a whole show that I dedicated to what I, you know, I called it personal versus impersonal, but then I switched it around. I, I called it the one thing you need to know that solves just about everything. And, <laughs> and, and, and that'll sell. And, uh, and, and that was the one thing. Uh, and so if you're going to watch that show, but the one thing is, oh, when is it that actually it just is? It's the isness of things. Like even my emotions are isnesses because I think people, when they, of course, we know when you attach to your emotion, then you are that. And then you, like we said over and over again on this show, you resent, you blame the other person for the way they made you feel. Where when you observe the emotion and then that emotion just becomes a thing like a cup or a tree or a house, you're like, oh, that's going on. That's there. And, and I think that's where that freedom lies because now you can utilize it. It actually becomes very, very beautiful in a relationship. The same thing, like, you know, the one story when my dad, when I was a kid, you know, in, in the book, you know it, you've read it. But when he when he would talk about my mom, he was so coarse and horrible. She, he'd call her a cunt. And it was like the hardest thing for me to hear because she meant everything to me in my life. So it was only after I like went and did my own work and saw, oh, his world is his world. Mine is mine. I'm not codependent. I don't need him to talk about her in a way that I now feel okay. So that was that moment. I remember it very deeply when I was in Amsterdam, we hadn't met in 10 years. He was here and he said, you know, your mom was a real cunt. And then I looked and, and, and the reaction before would have been a fight where we would have separated for another few years. How dare you talk about my mom? How dare you talk about my mom? And it shifted to, you know, she's been gone so many years. W- w- what's going on? Why, why are you still holding on? To and then he just <laughs> cried. So we went from we went from what would have been an argument yeah. into him crying. Yeah. And we became closer through this weird way of saying, I'm not that word, which I would have attached to the woman I, sa- I made into a saint in my head yeah. was gone. And now I could just be with him with his suffering mm-hmm. because I didn't need him to deal with any of my suffering. I kind of a you know, dealt with that yeah. mostly myself. 
Sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but but it's not a trick. If no, it's only, I know. no, no. But it's nice you say that because actually, at some point, you have to have made peace for it to be authentic. Getting back to the real word again, right? Yeah. Because because if he felt any inauthenticity, he was very keen on that as well. I can tell you, he could sense really quickly when someone really wasn't genuine, and he would have that would have triggered him, and then he would have gotten aggressive in another way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen this phrase, uh, people. Uh, I. I saw what you did there, you know, <laughs> and yeah. it'd, be, it'd be funny if he goes, I see what you're trying to do, yeah. you know, like I'm on to you. But that's a ninja, what I meant. That's a what ninja I meant. move. Right. Yes. Ronnie, by the way, does that to me all the time at home. So she, oh, yeah. she in fact, <laughs> in fact, what she's getting good at is she's doubling down. So yeah. if I react a certain way to trigger response, she'll react to make it think that make me think that she took what I said seriously in a way that tricks me. And then it's just the best. Oh, it's just wow. so much fun. So she's, she's learning to, to, uh, to manipulate the manipulator. So the know? spouses, the partners of, of therapists have all said at some point, don't, don't you psychologize me, you know, don't, don't you? Oh, I would to... never psychologize her by the way. No, I, would I know, say, but, but I would but, say something to trigger her. Like, yeah. like, oh, baby, we'll just go to the airport at the last minute. Don't worry about prep. It'll be all fine. And she knows that yeah. would never be acceptable. But so she'll she'll say something like, you know what? That's a great idea. Why don't you just pack whenever you want? You know, that would be her right. her yeah. response. Yeah. yeah. So I know we're out of time, but a couple of things just came up. I want to toss in. Yep, so please. I know that you probably have feelings about this, but this is what came to mind when you were talking about that an emotion comes up for me. Yeah. And I think that that I'm finding in my life and in I can see it in others, of course, is over identifying with that emotion. Well, over is a judgment. You know, I'm always a, I'm always sensitive to judgment. So I just say identifying with it. Uh, okay. OK. Yeah. As far as like so I I've even like something positive like empathy like i'm feeling empathy i think it i think a person can get wrapped up in so in in yeah in uh like well i'm an empath or something and and that can be a that could be a pitfall i think yeah I, well what you're saying by the way i love how you're talking because these are all um since i'm doing my daily walks i come up with titles for new shows and then and then one thing the, the next show was the trap of labels because <laughs> because what you're talking about and I'm and, and we, we sometimes touch on it, you know, from you'll hear it when you're uh, doing the edits. But I'm always talking about when do we identify with the thing to the point that we can't no longer see ourselves anymore? Because it's almost like I hate the the um, those assessments when you fill out the assessment. And then yeah. in the end, it Myers says you're in. You're an introvert or you're an extrovert. And then all of a sudden, your entire life is explained and you can justify everything the rest of your life. Oh, this is just who I am. Yeah, right? it's almost it's the same with uh, the the uh, Zodiac uh, astrology. Yeah, astrology. Yeah. And then the Enneagrams. I mean, yeah. all of all of which. But the, is so for the person that and I hate I'm sorry, I just got to find a better word to, to yeah. over identify, I guess, just on the person that that. I mean, it's okay to, 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 that's why I want to put a metaphor on it or not yeah. a metaphor, a, a modifier on it. Because I, if, if, if I take that test and it kind of points to me and says, well, you're this, mm -hmm. I know that there's some, there is some context when that's possibly healthy. Uh, oh, of course. Um, however, what I hear in what I think is the over part is that, in a way, you're you're it's that's put a ring through your nose and now you're going to be led around by it. 
Yeah, yeah. So, but like, let's agree. It's not a bad Myers Briggs and all these things. They're not bad. They're great. And you're, and you're pointing it out. It's the context. So it's the point at which you no longer see it as something that can inform you, but you all of a sudden identify is it is you. And then from me, from a personal development or coach or a mentor role, it sucks because One, what have I given them? I've given them every justification they have to resist me now because they can say, you know what? That's just not who I am. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Look at my Myers-Briggs report. It shows that I'm not that person. And yeah. so you're fighting, you're fighting something that support. Now, let's agree that these things are indicative of behaviors that are being pointed out, which is invaluable. And, and, and let's also agree if you're in a business and you're just trying to get quick answers. How do I deal with this person in a way that's going to be mo- most effective? Like those those assessments, hey, they, 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 they cover up for someone who doesn't have empathy. Because if you don't have empathy, basically this report will give you empathy because you'll say, oh, I shouldn't use these words. You know, oh, okay, it's not coming from me. It's coming from this other, uh, this other logical data-driven uh, system. But mm-hmm. in the end, um, it's not the thing that's bad. It's how we use the thing that's bad, right? Mm-hmm. That's always the case, or not always, but often the case. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and they weaponize the the Myers Briggs against. Yeah, you know. So I know one last thing. Uh, yeah, you, what's when up? You, when you were saying clean out your closet, or like you know, yeah. go go through your Facebook pro friends and say you know these are the people that uh, I'm going to have less people in my life. The more mm. the more responsibility I take for my life, the less friends I'm going to have, etc. Yeah. So. There, there was a thing that came up on an episode of one of my shows where a, 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 she, she happened to be a therapist, but she pointed out that a lot of organizations and clubs and even relationships have this tension between authenticity and belonging. Mm. And so, for example, it, it, in a lot of churches, you know, because the human being desires to be seen that thus they desire yeah. to be authentic and Clearly. they desire to belong because we're pack animals and, and we desire to belong to a community. Yeah. And, and, and when that community sets up expectations and parameters of what makes you a member or not, yeah, then that's what creates the tension between makes, makes the person choose between authenticity and belonging because they can't have both. If you're going to oh. be authentic, if you're wow. going to be authentic, slow down, slow down. That was beautifully stated. <laughs> well, let's just think of a church that's real snobby. I'm, or they, I'm, you know. I'm with. So you're saying, and I just want to just to rephrase this. You're saying that authenticity is going to compete with belonging if you need to form and reshape who you are in order to belong. Yeah, and 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 that would be if the if the bylaws, so to speak, of the organization are such that no gays are allowed, or wow. you know, it's to the extent in which they set up parameters and filters, yeah. that's the extent to which you might have to forfeit authenticity. So what you're wanting, and mm. what we're wanting, and by establishing just this this description of what happens in society, is we're wanting those relationships, those organizations, those clubs that allow me to belong. While I'm being fully authentic, yeah. that's that's your those are the friendships you want to keep. Those are the clubs you want to be in, et cetera, wow. et cetera. I think that's beautiful. I didn't think about this. I mean, it's it's kind of it's obvious based on everything we said. But yeah. you 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 um you put it in such a succinct and beautiful way. Is that I I I forget because I, I always think I get to work in so many different locations, and when I go, I kind of have to be a bit of a chameleon. Yeah, right. When I'm in Indiana, my cussing goes down. 
right? Immediately. Yeah. Because I, I, there's a lot of the Methodist uh, religious groups in the background. And I know, wow, there's a lot of people here that have strong ideas. I was in, um, I was in, uh, I did a, a session in Borneo. And I said, Jesus, what are you doing to me? Or something like that. And then the woman came up to me afterwards and said, Andy, please do me a favor. Never use the word Jesus when you're, when you're, I mean, I didn't even think about it. Right? I didn't yeah. think Jesus, I have no equation of him. And then the next day I said, oh God. And then I said, oh my God, I said that. And then I went to apologize. She said, no, no, Andy, it's okay if you say, oh God, you just can't say, oh Jesus. <laughs> and for me, it was like, how do we delineate the difference between these two? But the the thing being is that as soon as I was now forced to bring that to consciousness, it altered my behavior because in some ways I didn't want to offend. I just, mm-hmm. why would I? That would just be, that would be me offending for the sake of wanting to you like, see me. This is who I am. You know, like I, I'm over that. But to some degree, you're right. In belonging to that group, I needed to let go of certain things, ways I might be. And, and I mean, in even doing this show, you can imagine there's going to be people watching it or thinking, God, what are you know, Andy, you know, he's not the Andy I know, whatever mm-hmm. that might be. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think to go back to the original theme of the show is that when when you're in that that particular town or and you're refraining from using the word Jesus, mm. that you are still being authentic, right? Yeah. It's That's not authentic. Yeah. I mean, it's it's even though you and your own co- convictions don't give a damn about saying the word Jesus, you're going to honor the the, the parameters of this particular club yeah. and, and because you, you want to be there. Yeah. And this, this goes back to the metaphor that Dan Savage uses about the price of admission to the amusement park mm. is that, so, so let's say, you know, I, I just, a second ago, I just set up a kind of a idealistic um, thing to where it's like, okay, the only friendships or clubs that you should be in are the ones that allow you to be a hundred percent authentic and, yeah. and allow you to belong. And no, there's going to be relationships and, and, clubs and French and whatever that you, you ask yourself, okay, they, I can be myself to to the fullest extent. I just can't say, take the Lord's name in vain when I'm with him. And is that, is that's the price of admission. That's the price of admission. And so you look at the rides, you look at the Ferris wheel (laughs) and you look at the the roller coaster and you really want to ride that roller coaster. And they're asking $5 at the gate. Yeah. And you're like, it's worth it to me, five dollars to, to ride that. Yeah. The thing about it then is is you get in there and you you ride the ride and you 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 can't complain about the five bucks. No, you cannot complain about the five bucks. <laughs> I am so with you. Like that's like shut that's, up. That's what I say to everybody is that I don't care what decision you make, but make it consciously. And when you've done it, it is what it is and accept it. And if you move out, you don't blame no a damn person. You can't yeah. live with that regret. It's you know, it, responsibility. Yeah. I was really funny. I know we're, we're way over, but I share another story just because I think it's so beautiful. I went out with a friend of mine and then we met another friend and we had this beautiful lunch together. The, the friend that joined cried because it was just, we were connected. It was very, really, it was just honest, beautiful, totally. I, we were all emotional. And then, mm-hmm. and then I leave. And then a week later, I get the message that the person who was vulnerable felt violated. Oh, right? wow. Because they weren't prepared to be that vulnerable at the table. Yeah. And then, and then I was thinking, wow, I felt very close to them. And I didn't, you know, nothing was spoken that wasn't, it was just intense for them to share. But, you know, there was nothing 
provoked or pushed. It was just, hey, you know, this is just a, oh, you know, the honest question. Like, so what made that you guys ended up getting together or, or whatever it was? And then, oh, that must have been hard. So they felt seen by me. They felt heard by me. And the fact that it was an honest question, which they may not have been asked in ages by anybody, was created an emotional, visceral response. So now a week later, I'm told that basically because of how I made them feel, mm-hmm. I'm now responsible for that, getting to where you st- where you kept pointing to in the conversation. Yeah. yeah. And, and that oversharing and the, and the, the afterglow of like, Every time I'd finish a show, even back when I was a preacher and I'd finish a sermon, there is that that feeling of like, oh, my gosh, did I say did I overshare or or was I did I let the emotions of the moment manipulate me into doing something that I now regret? And that's Mm. kind of what they're feeling. And of course, instead of taking responsibility, they're blaming you. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah. it, but it is it is common for people who aren't used to being vulnerable to come away from a, a, a meeting like that where they've been vulnerable and feeling exposed. Yeah. And now they're scared and naked and they've got to blame somebody. Yeah. And, you think, to, and you think the best thing would be to sit there, at least to call the person and then share it as well. That's a vulnerable act that connects you again. So you stay in relationship. Yeah. Right? I mean, you could. there's a lot of ways to react to that. Just call them and say... I am feeling really, really exposed. I mm. feel, I feel, I don't know if it was the drinks or I had too much to drink or just yeah. the lighting of the restaurant, but I, I'm not comfortable with how much I shared with you. Yeah. Well, the judgment was something different yeah. is that it was a funny, it was an underlying belief. This isn't the conversation you have in a, in a, in a restaurant. That was the and statement. Don't have it. Exactly. Or say, you know, but whatever the case was, I just thought it was very fascinating that, again, then the belief comes that, hey, there's only certain places where you can have emotional discussions, right? Which is, of course, its own its own belief that goes unseen, that which is part of life, as you know. Well, yeah. and if they if they know you, <laughs> if they have any history with you, they know that they're going to have to be the ones to know what's uh, appropriate and what's not, because... <laughs> You're going to you're going to talk about anything and everything anywhere and everywhere. Yes. Like if nothing you, is expanding the untalkaboutable or whatever that, that or or seeing a clue which shows that that's not appropriate and then pulling back because, you know, the the thing is, if it, it goes again to the start, the trap of authenticity, if you think the conversation needs to be authentic, then you're actually not you're, you're actually there's a drive in you that you're not aware of. I don't need an authentic conversation. It's just great when it's there. And why wouldn't I continue? And if it seems if I think or appears there's space, hey, I'll, I'll dig into it. So. Well, that you do it on the, the you do it on the show sometimes, but I remember that time you were in the backseat of some of of a friend of yours' parents' car, and you just said, <laughs> "How's your sex life?" You know, <laughs> and and that's and here again, that's not they some somebody could say that's not the conversation to have in the car with your with the parents of your friend at age nine or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so and so that's what I'm saying is that when people are with you, yeah, they're going to have to know that if they want to put parameters on this conversation, they're going to have to be the ones to do it because, <laughs> because Andy doesn't know how. But you know what? <laughs> like the person, like, and, and it's always context. That person who we spoke in that story, right? Yeah. Um, I'm still very close with that person because there was a vulnerability that he could feel that he wasn't anxious. It was actually a high school teacher. I was a high school student. I was with him and his wife in the car 
you know? Mm. And so, and so there was, and it was really funny. There was a genuineness in it because I actually saw these two. They look so weirdly different to one another. I said, I can't imagine the two of you having sex. And it was an honest feeling. It wasn't like, uh, it was just, and, and I guess the, and of course there was the idea like this, this is also pushing the limit. But the thing was, was that in, in allowing yourself to be that free, people will also meet you as he has, and he's become a friend for life. So, mm-hmm. um, so in that way, there's a, you know, you, you, you ride the line, but people who appreciate you for showing up completely, even if it's a little bit raw and, and, and a bit weird, they just, you stay friends for a long, long time. Yeah, and it's and a different it, level of friendship, I have to say, because yeah. you you cut through the bullshit so quickly. There's no superficial necessity. It, it, you might go through that, but at some point, there's like we can we can deep dive as soon as we want to, or, or it feels good, or we don't have to. You know, mm-hmm. that's that feeling. Well, it sounds yeah. like he's willing to pay the price of admission to the relationship with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wonder how he feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, we came way over. This is going to be our longest show ever. So I'm happy we, uh, we, uh, you can edit it down to a reasonable size for listeners. I'll take out yes. everything I said. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, share this with people from everyone's agnostic because I'd love to get some of those listeners to join over on our side. Okay. You can pull them over when, uh, when we've edited this one down or even the video. Yeah. Thank you, Cass. It was yeah, really you. cool to be with it's you. I see that Bambos was at least strong enough to watch the video. So I see he's at least has the hey, health Bambos. to watch the video. Bambos, uh, we miss you. And, uh, and, and I, uh, and I, yeah, I, I can tell you it feels very weird not having you next to me, having an hour long show with Cass, but it's beautiful to be with him and you, uh, separately, right? There's, there's nobody in the world like Bambos. No, no, he's you know. One of the kind. He's, you know what the, my greatest fear with Bambos is? Is one day he's going to heal all of his wounds and we've got nothing more to talk about on the show. <laughs> well, that'll be a great day. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? Why, that'll why be the last show. At, at one with everything. That's what we'll call the show. Listen, I love you, Cass. Thank you. you. I'm oh, really bye. grateful to have you with me. We'll uh, we'll talk soon. We will. Yes. See ya. Bye. It's a wonderful chaos. We like it down.